Today is Palm Sunday, and with Palm Sunday, we are just reflecting on, and Miss Ashley gave a perfect synopsis. I thought she did such a brilliant job of helping the kids go through these, this special day honoring Jesus as he came in on, depending on which version of the gospel, they depict a colt, and one version depicts a donkey and a colt. But some churches, they say, why don't you have palms? And the actual wording, they didn't just lay down palms. They lay down their clothes and blankets. So, so someone suggested instead of palms, maybe each of you guys could shed your clothes and throw it on the ground, and we could see Jesus walking down. But that's how it was. It was an honoring. It was a parade, and it was a celebration of the king who came. And for the Jews, this was a triumphal entry because this marked, is this the Messiah who's going to come and rescue us from Rome? This Roman oppression. Our king has come. And they're thinking, not far now. We will win. We will have our own nation. And so what they didn't realize, though, Jesus didn't come for that solution. He came for a bigger solution. Jesus didn't come into Jerusalem for a political solution. He came in because of a spiritual problem, a bigger problem that affects all of us today. And so this Palm Sunday is this ironic where they're celebrating the right king, but a lot of them were celebrating for the wrong reasons. Within a few days, they would be disappointed, like Judas, one of the first disciples. Judas, do you know why he betrayed Jesus? He really wanted Jesus to be this zealous, messianic, political king and ruler. So every time Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then in three days I'll rise again, I'm going to die, in three days, I'm going to rise again. Judas is thinking, what are you talking about? And so eventually, Judas said, I've had enough of this. And for 30 silver coins, Judas betrays his master for three years. I mean, just that alone, it's, it's gut-wrenching. So a lot of us, we have this picture of Jesus, Jesus as this different person, and we follow Jesus for maybe different reasons. In this day and age, I've heard this kind of message. If you follow Jesus he'll find you a husband. If you follow Jesus, he'll make you really wealthy and have everything you want. If you follow Jesus, he will make you so happy and your life will be comfortable. And there is nothing that Jesus says that promises any of those things. He actually says, if you follow me, you will be persecuted. If you follow me, you might be homeless. If you follow me and you love your family more than me, you can't be my disciple. Sometimes families will turn against each other when you follow me. And so we have this weird depiction that if I follow Jesus, maybe he'll give me everything that I've always wanted and make me happy. And so we are like the Jerusalem people waving branches. Yes, the king. What we really wanted is here. And Jesus says, that's not what you want. It's not what you need. Here's what you really need. And so I'm, I'm thinking of many episodes in my life where you go in for a car checkup, you think you need a new tire, and then you ever get the bill? They're like, uh, you don't need a new tire, you need a new engine. <laughs> I just came in for an oil change, uh, you need a new car change. And so what you thought you were getting was not. And I think that's how they saw Jesus. And so I want to go back that it's not just the Jerusalem people waving palm branches. It's us today. It's the Pharisees, too, who saw Jesus as like somebody who didn't fit their build. So I want to go to Mark chapter 2, 
uh, that Nathan read, and I want to go back into that to see a little clue about the different kind of Savior Jesus was. And so in Mark chapter 2 that Nathan read, just call out who are the characters or people you heard in that story. Tax collectors, sinners, oh, excellent. Pharisees, disciples, anybody else? Jesus, all right. <laughs> I'm like waiting for Jesus. Okay, so we got, so the tax collectors, as some of you know, he's, he's the main, main object in that story. Levi, he's a tax collector. Now, if you're a tax collector, that's equivalent to like a local drug dealer. People are like, oh, stay away from my children, you sinner. You know, he's the equivalent to maybe the local gang that steals and they just knock over people's houses. And he's the worst of the worst of the society. He's considered a traitor because he collects taxes for Rome. The, the enemy state, he's working for them. He's getting paid by them, and he's protected by them. And he actually adds to the taxes so he could make a little more money for himself. They were so considered so unclean that their homes, the Jews, the Pharisees said, you cannot go near them. The home is unclean. It's like the home has cooties, you know. You can't, you got to walk around to the opposite side of the street because that's the tax collector's home. No one hung out with them. Nobody sat with them. The church, if the church was there, they would be the last people you would invite to church. Ugh. Invite the poor, nice kids, but don't invite that guy. Some of you have neighbors like that. You know, the video's like, invite somebody at Easter. You're thinking, I know who I'm not inviting. It's the opposite of that. I mean, this is, but Levi was this guy, but like every human... And I think this may be not a bold statement. I think every human longs for this. What do they long for? Levi longs for something that you and I long for. It's forgiveness. It's acceptance. It's a second chance. Can you raise your hand if you've ever wanted that in your life? And with, with chuckles and laughter because so we could relate to Levi he was a wretched, selfish traitor. He was. But as a human, there was something in his heart that said, I want more. See, money didn't do it for him. Power didn't do it for him. He found out when he got to the top, he has no friends. He has no family. And so that's Levi. So while tax collectors were having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. What does that tell you? Not only was Levi like this, his buddies were like, you got invited by Jesus? And he brought his whole gang of rejects, of sinners. And so we have Levi, and then we have the Pharisees, who are the conservatives, the traditionalists, the purists. Uh, they're the ones that lived, hey, if you want to be loved by God, you live this way. You go to church. You don't chew gum. You don't get tattoos. You, you, uh, you wear nice clothes. And you never curse. And so they were so legalistic. That if you want God to bless you, you better live straight up. And not only did they live according to these rules, they said to others, like, you don't even come close to living like me. And there was a self-righteousness that welled up. Because I am religious. I got it together with God. And you have a problem. And so in these faces, this is why they saw Jesus and they were so frustrated with Jesus because they saw Jesus as a holy man 
But who was Jesus hanging out with? If Jesus was here in La Mirada, where would he be hanging out? Every church? No. The last place he'll be going into is like, let's worship in church, play the music. He would, he would be looking around, walking with the crowds, going to the homeless, going to the prostitutes, going to the drug dealers. He would be going to the people of the community that the church has forgotten. And we're saying, yoo Jesus, we're here. We've been good. And Jesus is actually, I'm going to hang out with these people. You, you guys seem to have it together in your mind. You know what? I'm going to go where the real need is because you guys are living in this little bubble. And so Jesus goes to them and he keeps rocking everyone's view. He's God. He doesn't live religious. He lives differently. So one of my favorite games is Jeopardy. So I want to play Jeopardy with you. So how does Jeopardy work? You get a clue, and then you, the clue is the answer. So your response is, you know, what is? Okay, so let's play the first one. So there's a couple of things here. And I'll, actually, I'll scroll, Wes. I'm going to scroll from back here. So, so here's the first one. You ready? As we look at Mark 2, it reveals to us a few things. Answer. Invites and connects with outcasts and unfaithful. Does not demand conformity to a traditional religion. Oh, well, it could be Jesus. So, so I, I, I give you half credit, Mr. Scott, for over there. The, the question is, how does Jesus reach out to sinners? How does Jesus reach out to sinners? He invites and connects with outcasts and unfaithful. Does not demand conformity to a traditional religion. Hey, if you want to be a Christian, you got to go to church. Come 10 o'clock, La Mirada service. We're Presbyterians, so sit in a nice pew. Sit still. Don't move. Don't you dare clap. <laughs> Don't you start waving your hands like this. And you nod when the pastor says amen. You close. Give an offering if you can and go home and drink coffee and bye-bye. See you next week. Is that what a Christian is? I know we don't do that, but I, I wonder if we communicate that to the world. Hey, you want to be a follower of Christ? Be boring like us. Come. And I think that's how the world sees church-going Christians. We got the right answer, but I wonder if we're communicating this to the outcasts like Jesus. We worship on Sundays. We love it. I love worshiping. I don't think this is boring. I love it. But if this is the main thing we do, we are not reaching out, inviting, connecting with outcasts and faithful. And what we're basically communicating is, you want to meet us? We'll be here on Sundays. As opposed to, you want to meet us? Where are you? I'll go to you. You want to meet us? Can I buy you a meal? You want to meet me? Can I take you out? Can I hear your story? Is that not Jesus Christ? Is that not what he does to Levi? So the easy thing for church to do, and they did it from the first century, was huddle up, isolate themselves, sit and disconnect from everybody else. Maybe you've heard this. Don't hang out with so-and-so. He's bad. Have you heard that growing up? 
And some of them said, Jason Coe, don't hang out with Jason Coe, he's really bad. I was that kid. All right, so anyway, so, but I think Jesus is saying, know who you are, but hang out and pray and invite them into your story. See, I think we bought into this weird story as church Christians, like, ooh, they're unclean, just like Levi. We want to isolate ourselves from them. We don't want to get dirty. And what does Jesus do? I'll show you how to live. Let me go into their story. So, can I, the next, well, just keep it, keep it there. So, the question that he's answering is, how does Jesus reach out to sinners? Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And, oh, oh it's not working. Come on. Okay. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. That video I showed is just so simple. You don't have to preach to them. You don't have to know all of theology. It's simply this, hi, you want to go to church with me? Hi, you want to come over for a cup of tea? How does Jesus respond to sinners? He invites them to his story. So, next one. Answer, this is $500, folks. Feeling of superiority or less religious, over less religious, and inability to extend mercy to the lost. Pharisees. Ooh, okay. Feelings of, feeling of superiority over less religious and inability to extend mercy to the lost. And the answer, how do self-righteous respond to God's mercy and grace? Come on, tell me. How many of you had siblings? When you had siblings and you got in trouble, what did you say to mom and dad? Forgive me. Be merciful. God is gracious. Can you be gracious, mom? Okay, right? What happens when your sibling gets in trouble? Condemn them. Throw them into jail. They deserve wrath. I actually see that in, in my family. So kids are kind of like, yes, she got in trouble. So, so the self-righteous have this weird red flag about them. And in verse 15, and oh, there it is. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Right? That's good. And then what happened? When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners, they rejoiced that sinners were coming to righteousness with Jesus Christ. Is that what the Bible says? Oh, that's the real, okay. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In Luke's version, chapter 5, it says they grumbled that Jesus was eating with them. Folks, we want God's mercy so bad, but you know what self-righteous heart does? When you see your ex, your enemy, your neighbor, your in-laws who you despise, and they're blessed by God, in your heart there is this, why, God? Why are you blessing them? If you've ever felt that, it's not just the Pharisees. You have a self-righteous heart. And it's not just you. We all, as sinners, 
have a tendency to have this self-righteousness. And so they just couldn't stand it that Jesus was being nice to prostitutes, tax collectors, pimps, drug dealers, outcasts, gang members, to the cronies. They just couldn't stand it. And so Jesus is saying, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. And so self-righteousness, there's a red flag in us when we respond to God's grace to others with that. Now, let me ask you, if just think of somebody who you just didn't get along with. Just don't say that their name out loud. <laughs> That'd be awkward. And someone's like, right next to me. Don't do that. And then if God were to just bless them with a better job, with a better husband or wife, with a better income, with better house, how would you really feel? And I hope that in our graces we say, wow, God, I wish that was me, but I am so thankful you've blessed them with your incredible grace. Let me see. I'll tell you what pastor's version looks like. There's a church, another church in La Mirada. They're small, and then boom, they grow. They're just thriving. They're spiritually having revivals. Angels are coming. People are gathering. And I gotta, then pastors have to ask their hearts, how do you really feel, Jason, about that church doing incredible work for the Lord? And I hope my heart says, God, I am so mind-blown with your incredible generosity and grace to do your work through this congregation. Continue blessing them. I hope I can say that. I hope we can say that. And so what Jesus does is he challenges a self-righteous or religious who say, I could do this on my own. And he says, I'm going to bless these people. How do you feel about that? In fact, I don't really care how you feel because I'm going to bless them. Because this is how Jesus addresses those who really need him. So, next one. The answer, humble, not the good. Ooh, this one's hard. This is for $1,000. Monopoly money. The humble, not the good. What do you guys think the question is? Ready? Ultimately, who gets into heaven? Did you notice good was in parentheses? I mean, quotes? In this story, the Pharisees were so self-righteous because they considered themselves good. They followed the law of God so that God would come soon and then give them quick victory. Self-righteous people are their own, listen to this, saviors because they can be good enough and follow the law and they could be righteous enough. They could work it and they could boast about it and they could feel really good about themselves. And these are the people that will never say to the physician, I need your help. I got it. But who gets into heaven? <laughs> Ultimately, it's the humble who say, I have nothing of my own that I deserve. God, I deserve nothing but your judgment. God, would you show mercy to me? And so ultimately, there's only one type of people that will receive a physician's help. It is the humble. Do you guys have a dad or an uncle that's like this? My dad could have his like five fingers chopped off and he'll be like, just a scratch, I don't need to go to the hospital. 
My dad was like that. He fell off a building in a carpenter when he was a carpenter first came. He fell off a story building, landed on his side, and he's like, oh, that didn't feel right. Kept on working, and we said, you should go to the hospital. Five years later, he gets an x-ray for something else, and they're like, Mr. Coat, did you know that you had three broken ribs? He lived for five years with three broken ribs, and they fused like that, like this. My father was one of those guys who was like, I don't need a doctor. I, kind of, I think you kind of did. And so it's so dangerous. The type of people that ultimately gets into heaven are not the good because Romans 1 says there's no one good. There's no one righteous. Romans 3.23 says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one good enough to get into heaven. So who gets into heaven? It's the humble who recognize they are not good enough. Amen? Can we hear an amen? amen? That's the good news. The good news is not you do this, 10 things, you'll get into heaven. That's not good news to me. Man, I got to work hard at that? Here's the good news. Here's a million things that God calls perfection. If you break one, you break them all. Let's see if you kept them. You break one, you lost. And God says, here's the good news. You don't come into my relationship with me because you perform well. You come because you are humble. And so verse 17, the next slide, could you do the next slide, please? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. And so, so this is, final question, who is Jesus? The one that came in, oh, sorry. Physician, not an advisor. Answer is, who is Jesus? Jerusalem, he didn't come in to give you advice. Jesus didn't come into your life and come into this world to give us a better teaching. He was the physician who says to you, if you're sick, if you have any inkling of spiritual sickness, I can fix you. He didn't say, Live like me. Do you ever go see a doctor and do the doctor say, hey, you have cancer. Hey, do, do what I do and you'll be okay. No doctor does that. He'll say, you got cancer. You can't fix it by following me. I need to fix you. I need to perform surgery on you. And so what Jesus is saying as he goes to Jerusalem is, I didn't come for five days of my life here to teach you a better lesson. I came to take away your biggest problem. I ride in on a donkey and a colt as a king to reign over your hearts, which is self-righteous and sinful. And you need a savior. And I want to be that savior. And so right now, as I just kind of land this a little bit, if I said to you, do you recognize you are actually like Levi and the sick? You are a sick person before God, and you need a doctor. If that offends you, congratulations, you're like the Pharisees. I don't need a doctor. I got it pretty good. I've been going to church for 50 years. But if this story you relate to the tax collector in a way he says, Jesus, apart from you, I have nothing. The kingdom of God is not far from you. And whether you've been a Christian for one week or 10 years or 50 years, 
the posture of followers of Christ is this constant humility to say, Jason, you're such an incredible Christian. And the response is, well, thank you, but I had nothing to do with it. Apart from the grace and mercy of God, I have no forgiveness. It was his doing. That's his good news. And so this Easter and this Jerusalem and this resurrection is this. For the church, we need to wake up and recognize God is not asking you to be Pharisees. Would you be proper and, you know, curse a little less and dress nicely? That is not what Jesus is teaching. He's saying, if you're sick, I came for you. Well, thank you, Lord. You healed me. Great. Then join me in my ministry and go reach other sick and invite other tax collectors to me because the hospital is the church and the church is the hospital and the doctor is Jesus Christ. And so next, East, next week's Easter, folks, what better opportunity than to apply this and say, listen, if there's any message I want you to know, it is not be a Presbyterian, Methodist, or Baptist. It is know the great physician who can take care of your biggest problem. He can forgive you. He can show mercy to you. And that's why he went on the cross. And that's why he rose again. To bring us into health. This is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that you didn't come to make us religious. We confess that you didn't come to just merely show a model of how we should live. You came, Father God, to give us an answer to the biggest problem we have, a sickness of self-righteousness, of being our own gods, of being our own saviors, of our sin. And as we go into this Holy Week, Lord, as we meditate on the journey to the cross, may it not just be a week where we merely sympathize with your pain, but we enter into it and we die with you. That we die to ourselves, we die to our sins, we die to our self-righteousness and our pride. We die to the recognition we don't even see our own self-righteousness at times. And that you would open our eyes to your incredible mercy and patience for the religious, blind people like us. That we may go out and open our ears and our hearts to you. So Lord, welcome us. May you be our great physician. May you humble our hearts to know apart from you we're so lost. And in that, may we be found in you in the mercy of the cross. We pray these things all together as we also pray the prayer you taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Just stand together for our final hymn in Christ's name.